Mr. Spock? What's happened to me? You were in a shuttle accident. Seems to have made you human. What the f I feel different. <laughs> Don't you get it? Angry. <laughs> Hungry? I'd slow down a bit if I were you. I'm making up for lost time. We're working on a kill. If we can't change him back. Do I smell more human? Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton getting his sea legs under him. And we are here this week to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds, episode 5 of season 2, Charades. We're also going to be joined a little bit later by Taylor Ramone who's going to offer their thoughts on the episode. But we recently had some sad news in Trekdom with the passing of Manny Cotto. And this is a bit of a shakeup. We're big fans of Enterprise. You know, Tyler, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, first of all, he passed away, it seemed, uh, suddenly. Like, he was still working as a uh, exec producer on American Horror Story. And he was only 62. But uh, for, for those that may not know, he was the showrunner on season four of Enterprise. He joined the writing staff in season three. And I, I've been listening to other podcasts, um, you know, just just praising. Uh, I listened to this great podcast in which they interviewed Brandon Braga about his thoughts. I am blanking on <laughs> the name of that, but let me pull it up uh, as we go forward uh, through this discussion. But yeah, it, it shook me because you felt you're watching season four of Enterprise and it's like, oh, it's somebody who gets what makes the entire Star Trek franchise special. You're tapping into the stories that we've always been curious about. I love that Vulcan arc that uh, uh, started off kind of early on in season three. We're jumping to stuff like with the Augments, with the return of Brent Spiner. Uh, he's been used to interesting degrees. Uh since then in the Star Trek universe, but I don't know. It was just like very impressive that this is a guy who seemed to be able to tap into it, which I, I, I kind of think that maybe we could have used his expertise in the uh, 2017 and beyond version, like the Kurtzman era yeah. Trek. Um, and I, so I will recommend the podcast and glorious Trexperts in which uh, Brandon Braga is there, you know, recalling like what made this like just such a cool guy. And, uh, one of the stories that stuck out, though, is Brandon Braga was saying that he had made all these notes for a script that I believe Mike Sussman had written. Uh, this is Future Tense in Enterprise. And uh, Manny Cotto took a look at the notes, and he's like, the script's fine. It doesn't need notes. Just leave it alone. And Brandon Braga, he stood back. He's just like, yeah, you're right. Like, it is fine. I like I don't need to be critical about like every single thing. And he said he took off all those notes and it actually was very helpful for him as an executive producer moving forward, just being able to take that step back. And, and Manny Cotto, from what you hear in like the writer's room, is like it, it wasn't like my writing is the best, my ideas are the best. It's like this is an actual like we're all equals here. And, and he's willing to collaborate, willing to listen. 
And it really shows in like season four of Enterprise where he's the showrunner, he's the head writer, the top dog. It's one of my all-time favorite uh, seasons of Star Trek up there with season five of Next Gen, uh, seasons five through seven of Deep Space Nine. And I just think like this guy, I, you know, I, I, it, it's such a bummer that maybe he only got like really two seasons of Star Trek um, under uh, him. But from what you hear, it, it is just one of the highlights of not just his career, but his life as well. Well, he was someone who clearly got how to write Star Trek. And if you go and watch the Enterprise Blu-rays, Brennan Braga talks about how when he was running the show in seasons one and two, how unbelievably difficult it was to find writers who got Star Trek and who could actually write Star Trek and how he would bring in people, friends of his, who were very talented, who just he had to fire because they just could not write Star Trek. And Manny Cotto was someone who made it seem so easy in terms of balancing you know, new Star Trek storytelling that felt like it wasn't just, you know, going down the same roads we'd been down before, but managed to actually balance a lot of kind of fan service because season four of Enterprise was introducing all these elements that would pay off in the future of Star Trek, you know, the mirror universe. You mentioned a lot of the Vulcan arc stuff. We had the augments and Dorian material, um, the Romulans, that he just managed to make that balance so easy. And yet I felt like I was watching exciting approaches to star trek that we just don't get enough and you and i had debated like the likelihood of him ever coming back and doing a show i don't know that i don't know that i was optimistic about him coming back and doing a show in new trek i just feel like they have kind of their team they like working with largely Mm -hmm. but it does feel like to me one of the big lost you know opportunities with star trek so many people will bring up you know movies that never happened or anything like that to me, I will always wonder about Manny Cotto's Season 5 Enterprise, where there was concepts that were floated out there, like the uh, prequel to the Cloudminders episode, or more with the Romulan War, or Shran joining the show. He seemed like someone who was actively like inspired by the past, but looking forward to kind of remolding it in a way that would feel exciting and fresh. And God, it just really bums me out we never got to see it. He was also the one that seems to have come the closest to getting Shatner to return to the franchise. And there's this interesting story about him, Brandon Braga, uh, having lunch with Shatner. And Shatner seemed to be all in on the idea. But Shatner ended the lunch and said, yeah, it'll cost you, though. Hmm. And so they took it to the studio. And uh, Manny Cotto said in an interview, like, it wasn't an ungodly sum. It was totally doable. But they did, like, um, like Las Vegas sort of, like... Uh, like those audience tests, uh, control tests, and about the idea of having Kirk go to, uh, you know, st- appear on Star Trek Enterprise, and audiences were interested in it, but not enough for the studio to justify whatever that sum may have been. Right. Um, the idea was pretty cool. It was pretty much uh, going back and, and, and finding out where uh, Mirror Universe Kirk has been all this time. Barbarian Kirk. <laughs> yeah, and him trying to take over the NX-01 and uh, uh, getting out of this kind of pocket universe that he had been stuck on, uh, stuck in since uh, Mir Mir. So, I don't know. To me, that just seems like an amazing idea. And it would have been great. I would have loved to have seen Shatner playing, like, Mir Universe Kirk, you know, like, 20 years ago. Like, that would have been a blast. Well, with Star Trek Enterprise, his time on there, it reminds me a little bit of Trials and Tribulations, which was, like this loving nod to the past where you would reframe it to tell a story that felt exciting and new. And that's kind of what he did. 
And Lord knows we love trials and tribulations. And to me, that is kind of like what you want to see, especially in a prequel series where you're trying to build towards something, which is something that Enterprise, I think, struggled with somewhat, especially in the first two seasons where it often felt kind of just like these standalone, almost like Voyager-like episodes or something like that. It just seemed like Manny Cota was someone who found the course for where Enterprise should go, and it's just, ah, this show, like, really, I think, it's already special, but it could have been even more profoundly special. Yeah, I mean, look, I think if we had our druthers, it would have been great for the Kurtzman era to give Manny Cotto another shot. I mean, I think it's at this point with uh, Ron Moore signing that new deal that he did with Disney, it ain't going to happen with Ron Moore coming back mm-hmm. to the uh, the franchise anytime. So you look at kind of the pedigree that Star Trek's been able to develop o- over the years. But, you know, we've lost people like Michael Piller as well. Yeah. Um, isn't Jerry Ryan like, uh, sorry, Jerry Taylor, uh, the showrunner for season seven of Next Gen and the co-creator of Voyager. I think she's well into her, her 80s at this point. So it, it's, you know, just a lot of folks that were kind of the, the creative drive behind so much of the great trek uh you know they are they are passing on now it is kind of you know it makes us all feel a little bit more human and a little bit more mortal yeah it really does it actually bums me out that uh, i didn't get to see jerry taylor in las vegas she was there the uh kind of the the tougher pandemic year where we did not go and it would have been great to see her and many kodo I think I may have seen him in Vegas, but it was when I was like really early into my attending that convention. And I don't think I'd watched Enterprise yet. So it didn't really mean much. Like, I wish I'd gotten to see him, you know, the last handful of years when I was really into Enterprise. It would be like uh, the first time I went to the Vegas convention and they're offering up the animators behind the original series uh, or the animated series. And I would have been like, ah, I can skip that one for now. Yeah, exactly. So it is a very sad, but as you said, like we lose more and more Trek icons of the classic era every year. It's unfortunate that he went so young uh, compared to many of the others, but he did leave us uh, some fantastic television that people go back to. But there's no, um, I think, uh, graceful way to segue into our discussion of Strange New World. So let's just move along. Tyler, um, charades, what are your thoughts? Yeah, Kim, I have kind of been struggling with this season of Strange New Worlds, even fan favorites uh, like the uh, second episode. What's the name of that courtroom episode? I'm blanking. Uh, Ad Astra Prospera, something like that. I something think. like that. Sure. Um, Latin name. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Latin, Latin. Yeah, like that was kind of a fan favorite for me. I, I couldn't get over the fact that they weren't addressing kind of the philosophical issue at hand. It's more like here's a legal loophole. Which the the best Star Trek, you know, court episodes, it wasn't about finding like a legal loophole. It was about addressing the philosophical issue at hand. And and I have to say, um, look, if we can get an episode like this, uh, it, it will easily turn my views around on this season moving forward. I think far and away this is the best episode of the season. And, and perhaps one of my uh, favorite episodes of the uh, 15 that have uh, run so far from Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I love this episode. And I'm going to be honest, like, I cringed when I started the episode up and saw the, like, 5928, you know, uh, counter for this one. I was like, oh my god, they're doing another hour-long episode. Given last week's episode where it really felt like they were prolonging the episode unnecessarily, I was like, oh no, is that going to be the theme of this season, long episodes? But this one was such a delight that it was kind of like... 
a perfect amount of time to hang out with the characters. And there were times where it felt a little bit like one of those Apatow comedies where they're just a little too long. You could tell they fell so in love with some of their gags. They were like, whatever, whatever, just put them in there. Just keep them in. Uh, like, I think there's like 72 Pike reaction shots, but I was there for every single one of them. <laughs> and I was loving it. And I liked the way it balanced a high concept, very silly premise with some really interesting exploration of Chapel and her relationship with Spock. Uh, I had some deep concerns going into this one as they approached this temporal rift. And I was like, are we going to have yet another like alt universe episode? Uh, we got one in the season finale of season one. Then we followed up with uh, tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. <laughs> and I was just like, are, are they just going to keep falling back on this trope? Uh, you know, and, Think, look, uh, we got the body swap episode with T'Pol and T'Pring last season, and you, you think, uh, come on, don't go back to that well. How are you, you going to top that? I um, think you said T'Pol there. <laughs> oh, sorry, T'Pring. And yeah. w with regards to this, um, I was like, you know, um, good on you. Like, good on you for finding something interesting and different. It wasn't just the fact that you're putting Spock in, you know, like a, a human form. It was an adolescent human, and that mm -hmm. made it all the better. Uh, even those <laughs> weird beats when he's like eyeing uh, Laon, and then you have that little <laughs> kind of sexy drum beat play, <laughs> and like <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. Just even that lighthearted stuff, though. I, I do have some critiques, though. Cam, why why do uh, Chapel and Spock like each other? Like, are are there specific interactions uh, beyond just? them eyeing each other that that really kind of stands out and explains why there is this kind of sexual tension going on well i mean with chapel we saw that she was very much repelled by the guy that was like wanted to push her relationship further and so i wonder if she's just like drawn to people that are more emo emotionally aloof and that makes like spock somewhat irresistible as for Spock... So that's a character trait. That That's a character trait. But w what are the interactions? Sure. Like, between them, you know? Like, I think about stuff like Ross and Rachel from Friends and, you know, um, grabbing a spoon, you know? Like, that that kind of... Uh, that, that That's in the pilot episode right there. I, I can think about the, the Chandler and Monica rapport and just how they, they easily they got along and there's just such easy back and forth. This, it's mostly just saying, like, yeah, um... Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about him and like, oh, I just, my eyes bat towards him or when he walks in the room, like the music kind of swells. I'm just I, like, I want to know what the actual interactions are going on between them versus just the audience being told, oh, these people like each other. Well, we've seen a lot of her flirting with Spock. So I would say like she was attracted very quickly and we've seen kind of the continuation of that as I guess there's like that little kind of like dangling hope that keeps being kind of put in front of her and then pulled back as for spock what is the connection there um but that's just it like, like like you say she flirts with him yeah that, that's that's not the same of ha having kind of an interesting back and forth like there, there's you know do, do you know what it is cam it's, it's the same thing remember uh we were kind of complaining how um you know we're kept being told that tilly and burnham are, are besties but we don't really see any evidence of that of them being friends and that's what i keep feeling with uh spock and chapel it's like we keep being told that they're each other's crushes but like i don't know why i feel like what makes up for this though at least for me is that these two have like really good chemistry mm -hmm. which i agree <laughs> given the history of star trek and relationships or romances on the show where a lot of time you just have to buy into it even though you are watching paint dry like you know paris and and balana 
I mean, I was going to go even grimmer, like Shakar and Kira, where I just have to like buy into that this is important, even though there is nothing on screen that is communicating to me that there's any emotion whatsoever. I'm like, okay, it's just the leap I have to make. Whereas in this case, the two actors have so much chemistry that I guess for me it somewhat fills in the gaps if the show hasn't necessarily put in the time. And it is the sort of thing I wonder, like, if this was a 22-episode season, if we would have had more time focusing on the relationship versus this show, which tends to, over 10 episodes, bounce between different characters. Uh, they are pretty much making a 22-episode season with these one-hour episodes uh, spread across uh, 10 episodes, <laughs> right? They could essentially be doing, I I'm terrible at math, but uh, let let's subtract 20 minutes from each of these one-hour episodes across... Uh, uh, across 10 episodes and so that's what uh 200 minutes right there so we're talking about like yeah. pretty much like a 13 episode season i suppose is that is that about the rough math there i think that's about right yeah um i'm willing to go okay. along with that uh <laughs> that breakdown wouldn't you kind of prefer like a 13 episode season versus 10 episodes at one hour a pop you know like i, I just wonder if maybe look i agree like th there's not much i could cut out of this one uh but you look at like last week's you know I wear a helmet, and therefore my memory's good. Like, that sort of stuff. Hmm. Or, like, yeah, you could have easily chopped off uh, 20 minutes, and it would have definitely improved that episode markedly. I think in a best-case scenario, what these hour-long episodes do, and there's nothing, like, within the story of this episode that demands an hour, but that it creates little moments for all the side characters, whereas if this was streamlined a little more, a lot of that stuff would hit the cutting room floor in favor of the more important uh, you know, Spock into Pring stuff and the chapel story. Uh, the moments in which the uh, main uh, women characters are sitting around the uh, table telling jokes, uh, it rem <laughs> the, 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 the laughter that ensued reminded me of when the Discovery crew was watching Buster Keaton uh, <laughs> last season in, <laughs> or uh, in Discovery. I was just like, wow, this is deranged. Although that is basically us after maybe like six days in Las Vegas with our Vegas crew. <laughs> true, true um so i don't know like like look i i, I kind of came out the door praising it and then kind of like wanted to like uh poo poo i think kind of the lack of building like a real foundation to this relationship but man i love this episode and you know adolescent spock um you, you know it's just like uh i that that moment in which he's interacting in the hallway with uh, chapel after chapel has that uh, bad interview with the vulcan science academy guy you know it's just like uh you know vulcans can be such jerks and then uh you know mm -hmm. kind of open it up for a hug there and i'm just kind of like yeah th that made me laugh like all the way through um you know and then <laughs> after he gives her the hug he's like i felt that you needed that did i read the moment wrong like i, I and <laughs> oh my god cam he's like sometimes i don't cry in the shower kidding <laughs> 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 that was great stuff from like human Spock here. And just seeing like emo Spock when he's like dealing with Amanda when she shows up and he's getting angry. It's the sort of like material that if Star Trek 3 were like a miniseries, you might have spent more time with the different ages of Spock as he's being rejuvenated. But because that's like a hour and a half movie, they just speed through it. So like it was so much fun to visit that material. And it actually kind of resolve something you and I have brought up on the show since really early on, well before the new era of Star Trek started, which is we always kind of had this side joke that like Amanda's life must be terrible being married to a Vulcan and living among the Vulcans. 
And I like that this episode was kind of a tribute to her character and what she'd put up with and the sacrifices she'd made to be Spock's mother on the planet. It felt like they were tackling an issue that has always kind of existed, but has never felt like something that at least outside talent beyond the people who wrote this episode really picked up on. I have to say, it was a legit fist bump moment for, or not fist bump, but fist pump moment. Uh, if you were sitting in the room with me, Cam, it would have been a fist bump moment when Spock stood up to, to Prill and he started praising Amanda's resilience by sticking by her family on Vulcan, you know? And I, I just like, I was like, yes, this is the stuff that I, I live for when it comes to Star Trek because it, it's based on emotional beats versus, you know, um, firing phasers at some sort of ship and like kind of the uh the, the bridge exploding like uh the, pretty much how every episode of voyager would uh climax you know that, that always kind of made me go mm. like eh, okay i i like more of the um moments with the characters more and i think this was delivering just um like on all cylinders firing on all cylinders sorry <laughs> <laughs> it was also just great to see mia kirshner back um, from Star Trek Discovery. I guess this is our first returning Star Trek Discovery cast member outside of the obvious, you know, Pike Spock characters. Um, and it is interesting the way that previously in past eras, Sarek was always seen as kind of the important member of that family. And Sarek pops up throughout the films and, you know, has a new wife when you get to TNG, but they're still holding such reverence for Sarek. And I kind of like the way that New Trek has focused the attention much more on on Amanda Grayson. And I'm sure Sarek will probably pop up in some form on this show, but it does feel more like the Amanda era of New Trek. Like, can you believe it's been four years since we've uh, <laughs> seen her on our screens? Like, it was such a delight uh, to see her come up. Um, but I think, like, going back to that scene you know, with uh, T'Pril, and she's just kind of cutting Spock to the core. You know, like, you're mm -hmm. estranged for, from your father, like, and it's no reason why. Even he's disappointed with your life choices there. And for him to say, like, oh, really? Uh, it's my human side that makes me uh, so incapable in your eyes. Well, guess what? A uh, human pulled this uh, uh, ritual off. So there, gotcha. Yeah. I like, ah, uh, uh, just like... Those are kind of the, the, the moments that, like, I dig. But it's not that they just, like, have, like, oh, hey, Spock, you're the greatest. They follow it up with yet another thing that I think needs to be addressed, where it's T'Pring saying, you told pretty much everyone on the ship what was going on but me. Mm -hmm. And I've told you before that I accept you, your human side and all, but you still don't seem to trust me. So I, I'm just like, yes, thank you. You're, you're kind of addressing, like, what the, like, issues are with this relationship that inevitably ends with her wanting to see him uh, <laughs> duel to the death, like literally. <laughs> I thought that was such a great scene. And in Clumsier Hands would have ended with like, you pulled this whole charade. And then he kind of gives that justification. And then she goes, I understand. And it's kind of like the status quo continues. I like that the character of T'Pring, I just never would have dreamed when they started this show how much depth they would give that character, and how there would never be a moment where I didn't understand where that character was coming from. When I go back and watch a mock time, I don't really know where T'Pring is coming from that well. Yeah. And I just think like Gia Sandu on this show, they struck gold when they cast her, you know, for the first episode of season one. And I mean, they are taking time apart, but I really hope they continue to bring this character back because she just lends so much. And all of her interactions with, you know, Ethan Peck on the show 
just feel like so real, which is some, you know, saying something for kind of a heightened sci-fi world. So I, I, I want to praise that relationship too. And it, it rings so much more, uh, so much truer to me than the Chapel and Spock stuff, because we see those two interacting. We see them performing rituals together in the pilots, uh, getting it on in the pilots. Uh, think about uh, to uh, Spock and Mock, uh, the halfway point of season one as well. And watch, you know, they're really getting to know each other and, and prioritizing each other's needs by performing each other's duties in those situations. And that to me is why this, I, I think this, it's such, such a much more meaningful relationship and they've really established why it's a meaningful romantic pairing so far than anything that I've, I've really seen. And maybe I'm forgetting something big, but anything that I've seen between Chapel and Spock so far. But they also have done a really good job in that, like a lot of this is kind of like a rom-com and they've put um chapel in sort of the underdog situation we see in so many rom-coms but even though spock you know seemingly winds up with chapel at least for a short period of time at the end of this episode it didn't feel like they were dismissing to pring the way that traditionally romantic comedies very often do where the person who is kind of in the way of the relationship the audience is really hoping for is kind of like tossed off as a nobody you walk away with a sense of heartbreak from T'Pring and kind of the lingering sense that, like, there's more to explore here, and I'm looking forward to seeing them explore it. Well, do you think we inevitably watch what happens if and when T'Pring, like, finds out that Spock and Chapel maybe had some sort of fling? And, you know, I, I don't see this as being, like, a multi-season, you know, uh, Spock and Chapel hanging with each other sort of deal. I think this is maybe kind of multi-episodes, and then they put an end to it mm. at this point. I think inevitably you need to pay it off by having to bring find out and watching how she reacts and how, you know, uh, things go from there in terms of... I, I don't know, Cam, is it going to be another um, Friends moment with uh, Spock declaring, <laughs> we were on a break? <laughs> he just might. Uh, we seem headed that way. And, I mean, we had the episode um, Spockamock, I believe it was episode five of season one. This episode falls at episode five of season two. Are we like destined for like episode five of season three is a continuance of the kind of Spock relationship stories? I I, I don't want them to be arbitrary like that because I like I want yeah. them to have a great idea to back it up. And they had one here. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was a little skeptical going in. I was like, okay, is this... Is this going to work, you know, as you say, like, uh, you know, the fifth episode in a season yet again, they did it. I, I, But I don't want them to hang on to, you know, some sort of arbitrary, like, every f episode five is to Pring and Spock go through something weird. Um, what's going to yeah. happen next season? Uh, Spock turns fully Vulcan? <laughs> or we turn to Pring human, perhaps. That could be fun. That could be fun. Yeah, it could. We haven't seen that before. So, uh, yeah, that could be interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry. You mentioned Pike's reaction shots throughout. Yeah. The best one, far and away, was when uh, he grabbed the tray of food just as Spock was revealing that he did the ritual as a human. <laughs> and Pike immediately turned around with the tray of food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, and also, um, so to Pring's father, um, I, I, like, okay, we're talking, I think, in the Wage Douge episode of uh, uh, season two of uh, lower decks you know essentially the one where mm. we see the perspective from the vulcan ship the klingon ship etc um and you know how they had that discussion it's like could we have like a a full vulcan crew 
uh, or would it just be a little grating on our nerves? <laughs> I would say like, I really want to praise what we've seen with uh, Strange New Worlds and showing like the diversity among Vulcans. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got somebody like Spock. You got somebody like that jerk over at the Vulcan Science Academy. Um, to Pring is very distinct as his her father um very like kind of like it seemed like i don't know ray romano could have played that character or something and, and not changed the performance whatsoever um and, and to prill like I, you know i'm just like i oh even think about like what we saw in discovery with the um the vulcan president or navarre president i suppose i should say yeah and um i know your favorite character of uh season three of star trek picard uh the vulcan gangster camp of course, the Vulcan gangster, one of the all-time greats. Um, do you remember the father in the movie Lady Bird uh, with Saoirse Ronan, the Greta Gerwig film? So many scenes in that movie. It's obviously about, you know, kind of a conflict between mother-daughter. So many scenes are the father in the background playing solitaire on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I kept thinking about with the character of Savet, uh, T'Pring's father throughout this episode, where he just, like, very often was just, like, kind of quiet and observing. And I could just picture him playing the, you know, Vulcan equivalent of solitaire in the background on a computer at home. Uh, I thought he was so much fun, and I love that moment where Pike serves him the food and he's like oh i really like this and then the mom just kind of shoots it down and the father's like mm, yeah yeah okay okay <laughs> and just kind of walks away <laughs> cam speaking of pike and the food uh, yeah. <laughs> are they are they overdoing it with this character it would be like if every time he walked into jean-luc picard's ready room he was in the middle of an archaeological <laughs> dig <laughs> just like good like tone it down people it's like it's like every single episode <laughs> is obliged to have him in an apron doing something i'm just like okay okay we get it we get it you like to cook yeah, they talk about that on the special features for season one where they were trying to figure out what Pike's thing was because obviously, you know, when you go back to the cage slash menagerie, they're talking about, you know, Pike and horses, but that's kind of a Kirk thing too. And so I believe it was like Anson Mount pitched cooking because he's kind of the type of captain who brings people together like at a table. And Well, that's a um... Cisco thing. If we can't have horses, <laughs> you're going to just ape off of Cisco? Well, maybe Anson Mount hasn't watched Star Trek Deep Space Nine, <laughs> but it does feel that. like it does feel like they've kind of taken that characteristic and are like, we need to put that in every episode. <laughs> is it is it getting a little much for you at this point? It's kind of fun when it's used in a way where I'm consistently like laughing or smiling throughout the episode. I can't complain too much. Maybe if he'd been cooking through last week's episode, I would have been like, enough, <laughs> enough okay. with this. Okay. Like that's how he regained his memory was like sitting down in a, you know in a kitchen and like whipping things up. I would have been uh, I would have been beyond fed up. What making snow cones on that planet? <laughs> exactly. And they're all okay. like, oh, these are so delicious. And he's like, hmm, I believe that I have a calling, a higher calling. Yeah. Well, I I just want to say that um, when it comes to cooking, Spock eats bacon just like I do, <laughs> and and he drinks his booze just like you do, Cam. <laughs> it's notable because yeah vulcans are vegetarians too so i don't know what the bacon is made of i'm assuming it's just like replicated there right i do they have replicators yeah you're right because you go to the original series they're eating like colored cubes and, and huh. i i hate to break it to you cam um spock's not vulcan that's true he's human in this episode so not in this yeah in this moment yeah he is human you're right yeah so there you go uh hmm. boom there's a loophole. If you like loopholes, uh, Star Trek Strange New World writers. 
how are they going to navigate this like Spock Chapel relationship over? Because we're only in season two. Like, how are they going to navigate this to the point where it like semi makes sense with the original series? Okay, so Cam, this is kind of you can tell I've been agitated about the Spock Chapel <laughs> stuff because I had that exact same thought. Like, isn't it just going to get old like real soon? It almost mm. felt kind of old even from like the season premiere where it's just like, um, you gotta live, you gotta live. And I'm just like, okay, you know, and like, like you said, we've got like another six, seven years of like this until we, we get to the Kirk era. Like, yeah. isn't that kind of weird if you've got like a colleague and it's just like sexy pining for like a decade? <laughs> it'd be time to switch jobs at that point um it's it would make sense to me if there's like that spark of attraction they get together and then you know it doesn't work out for uh, i think you know reasons the audience can kind of understand okay. but like that's the thing it's like with the original series that's not the case yeah like you have chapel pining for spock throughout those three seasons so it's not like you have that kind of end point you have to kind of end it in a place that's very similar to where we were, say, at the start of this episode. It it, it feels like a schoolgirl crush when we're watching it in the original series more than what we're getting here seems to be um, between equals. And I, I, how do we fit Dr. Kirby into this entire equation? Or Corby? Dr. Corby, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well... Are we going to have at some point down the road like a love triangle between Spock, Corby, and Chapel? I mean, I guess that could be interesting. We haven't seen something like that. I I, I don't want to love. I, I don't want to see Spock in a, a love triangle though. It, it's cause here. Here's the reason why. It's okay. I I will point out this moment. You know, um, Spock is like, look, Vulcans suppress our emotions because our emotions are so much stronger than what humans are. I don't want to suppress mm. this. I thought that was a powerful thing. Uh, maybe there's some whiners out there that are like, well, that goes against, you know, canon. I'm just like, you know, Spock's character developed dramatically, whether you saw him in the cage to uh, the man trap, uh, jump ahead to the motion picture, and there's mm -hmm. no human elements. And he's far more stoic you know, in movies 2 through uh, uh, 11, I suppose. No, 2 through 12, I suppose. So... Yeah. I have no problem with this character having a lot of pendulum swings in terms of how he navigates his emotions, but I just, I, I, I'd find it just like really grating to have to watch like some sort of Corby, Chapel, Spock, sort of triangle. I'm just like, let's navigate this in a more interesting way. I also don't want to push the characters into the background and kind of ignore the relationship uh, as a means of avoiding dealing with it as we go forward because they could easily just kind of background it and then focus on characters like Ahura and Laan and all that sort of thing and just tell stories about them but it feels like I mean people I've talked to have been watching the show really have responded to uh, Spock Amok and just kind of like the sparks between those two characters between uh, Chapel and Spock and a lot of these people are not people who watch the original series so they don't necessarily have any sense of where this goes but it may prove frustrating for people who are newer to Trek if they try to kind of put it in this wheel spinning mode because of where they have to end up. 
And it's the wheel spinning that I'm very concerned about, though. And, you know, I... I, I look, uh, Vulcans are good at suppressing their emotions. I, I just wonder if maybe by the end of this season, it kind of caps off with, you know, Spock pledging to suppress his emotions for at least the time being. I, like, I just... Mm. I, like, I don't know. Like, like, like it, otherwise, it just feels like we're going to keep hitting the same beats again and again, you know, if, if this show goes on until season five. And I do give this show points for the fact it's actually been pretty good about not prolonging these things because you and I were debating in season one, are they going to keep the Dr. Mabenga daughter stuff going for like five seasons <laughs> as the actress is aging? <laughs> like that's going to be very bizarre. And the fact that they resolved that, look, admittedly in a very terrible way on the show, but they resolved it in season one. They also have not had Pike, you know, stewing over his ultimate fate at all either like they've managed to kind of deal with that in a season and then move forward so like it would be strange given the pattern of the show to kind of stretch the spock chapel will they won't they like for five seasons that would be kind of against what they've been doing on the show which i think they've okay. been pretty successful at managing to keep moving and introduce you know new aspects of the characters I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, even though uh, the, the benefit of the doubt got stretched a little thin throughout the first four episodes of season two. Um, okay, so with regards to Chapel, though, um, Jess Bush's voice this season just seems a little off. I, I, I don't know if it's the mm. accents. Like, she is an Australian actress. I don't know if she's changed her accent so much. It, it seems as if, like, her voice is almost throatier or deeper or more serious, but it just it doesn't... I don't know. Did that jump out to you? It jumped out to me in the sh second shuttle scene in what she and uh, and um, Ortegas and uh, Uhura were going to that temporal rift. Did, am I just am I totally off or I don't know? It did not jump out to me, but I am famously terrible at recognizing like, you know, uh, bad accents or accents like kind of peeking through voices. Um, unless it's something like super obvious, like you give me Kevin Costner in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, then I can go, oh, okay, there we go. That's bad. But in this case, it did not jump out to me at all. No. Cam, why don't we continue our conversation about trades with one Taylor Ramone, who is returning to talk about Star Trek for the first time on subspace since season three of Picard. So yeah, uh, why don't we talk to Taylor right now? And now, traveling through a stable vortex with us, we are joined by Taylor Ramone to talk about the latest episode of Strange New Worlds. Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about Strange New Worlds. Well, you enjoyed it last season uh, when we had you on for season one, of course. Uh, season two so far, we're at the halfway mark. Subtract trades from the equation. We're going to get to that in just a few moments. But uh, what's your take on the first four episodes of the sophomore season of Strange New Worlds? I think, you know, we have taken into account everything except for charades, which was awesome. Um, I think we're doing really good so far. Like, I, you know, the, um, the first couple episodes were definitely like, it's hard to beat a courtroom episode in, a, in Star Trek. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, people love a cartroom episode, so that was really, really great. Um, we have our flashback into Toronto and, and Captain Kirk eating poutine. So, like, how can you say that that's bad? <laughs> like, 
you know, seeing a little bit of Canadiana going on in there, you know, makes your heart swell. And uh, yeah, I think everything is going really well. It's very highly entertaining. I'm hearing from so many people who are not necessarily like huge Trekkies or Trekkers that they, uh, that they're really, really enjoying this, even though they hadn't seen like everything like we have. Uh, they're, they're just enjoying Strange New Worlds for what it is. And it's, yeah, so if, if you can get the most skeptical non-Star Trek fan out there enjoying it, then I, you know, I think it's pretty good. And even as a slightly more skeptical Star Trek fan, I, I think I'm really, really enjoying this season. How much did it surprise you to find out that uh, Khan is in fact Canadian? Well, it ha we had it in us the whole time, right? You know, we're yeah, we're all secret yeah. genocidal uh, maniacs, uh, and it's all that's keeping us at bay is our social graces and politeness. We we do have that colonial background here in Canada, so I suppose uh, that 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 could be the tie between Khan and everything else. <laughs> I mean, that is true. We are still technically doing a genocide, but you know, let's. Let's not maybe go into that part of our okay. history yes. right now. Why don't we transition to the, the jolliness that is Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds, though? We could just spiral into that so hard, though. Like, yeah. <laughs> What's been your favorite episode? Uh, you know, take charades out of the equation. You said it was awesome. I, I want to pick your brain about that in just a second here. But out of the first four, what's been your favorite? Ah, oh, dang it. Charades is so far my favorite. So I... I out of the first four, though, um, I really did love the courtroom episode and seeing more of uh, just the, the sort of legislative process and what somebody would go through to get like a, get asylum. And uh, seeing that was actually like so rewarding how the crew came to uh, number one's aid. And it, it was just like a very heartwarming in, in that way episode. And you, you love to see an underdog win. So it's it's hard to <laughs> it's hard to you know um, take away that episode not feeling like hopeful and and uh, you know pretty great. So I, I think that I really really enjoyed that episode. I'm I'm so bad with episode names. I think that was what was that at Astra. Uh, I struggled with that episode name earlier in our conversation with Cameron, and uh, it's Ad Astra per Aspera. Um, so, oh, it's the um, whole phrase. I, I thought it was just the the to the stars, but it's the whole uh, whole phrase. Yes, rolls right off the tongue. And it also felt overdue for like an Una showcase because that's a character who I think really has popped, but hasn't gotten a lot of full episodes built around her. Yes. Yeah. I mean, telling her backstory and, and hearing all the stuff that she went through um, was, was, you know, it's so heartening to hear about, you know, how different people, these augments are, you know, how they are treated on, on other planets. And it, um, it's not good. I mean, it's like you kind of see this racism sort of happen. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting cultural phenomenon for them to like, this is a normal part of uh their culture they you know go undergo through augmentation so yeah it's interesting to find that out and see and hear more about it i too found charades to be my favorite episode so far of season two i uh, just it wasn't just the fact that they turned spock into a human it, it made him an adolescent human at that learning and just that awkwardness that went into it also, Tate, I, I, I was I was laughing my ass off throughout so much of this episode. Uh, what yes. what made this to be yes. such a standout for you too? 
Um, I would say, well, it was just so charming, I guess. <laughs> You know, to see Spock in this in this light. I mean, Spock is like a fan favorite character, definitely one of my favorite characters for sure. Um, but to see Spock, you know, experiencing the full range of emotions, and it's like a bit, you know, tongue in cheek in a, in a way. Like you, you know, you have them do going through this adolescence, so it's kind of silly and enjoyable, and putting him in like a wacky situation where he has to be around his uh, fiance's parents. So I think the whole episode was just like it was charming in that way like there was there was just um you know getting to see this whole other side of Spock you know because you know deep down that you know that he does have these emotions and actually seeing them come to the surface and embrace them and and try and roll with them um yeah I just think it made for a really great episode and, and good storytelling throughout the episode because I think if he like you know, went into this just perfectly prepared. I, I know how to deal with all of these things and not awkward and not overbearing and not weirdly <laughs> horny, <laughs> you know? I think it would be, you know, it's not that interesting of a story to tell, but having him go, like, to that extreme on the other side, um, definitely, definitely enjoyable, for sure. I continue to be blown away by Ethan Peck's performance, too, because, like, you think you kind of have a pretty good handle on who Spock is as a character, especially when you get to like the Zach Quinto version, which is very recognizably the Spock that you would see on the original series. And the amount that Ethan Peck has been given to do where it is both a recognizable Spock, but exploring new avenues. First off, you know, my hat's off to the writers for managing to do that, but also just Ethan Peck is like, this show has a lot of secret weapons, but he's just like one of the really special ones that I'm just so grateful they keep giving him so much to do. Oh, a hundred percent. Like, uh, I, every scene, every sort of Spock centric, anything, I'm, I'm having a great time watching Ethan Peck do his thing. Um, I was going to say too, uh, just like comparing other Spocks, like he does have, he, you know, you, you do see this sort of softer, younger Spock. And I think he portrays that really, really well. Um, throughout the series and you know um like I was thinking today I was out walking my dog just thinking about um you know Leonard Nimoy's Spock and you know how they go from like this type of Spock what we get with Ethan Peck to a Leonard Nimoy Spock which is far more like serious in that way and uh how that character would evolve in like from this to that and I was just you know thinking about you know what the transformation process would go through because you know you see Ethan Peck as Spock now and he's like definitely um you know, there's definitely the more of that humor and, and I mean, there's not to say that Spock didn't have a bit of humor here or there in the original series or anything like that. But yeah, I think Ethan Peck is doing an impeccable job. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I like that pun. Yeah, right that's there. pretty great. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because like Spock's sense of humor, it seems to develop when you get to the original series era. Like he's a lot snarkier in TOS than I find him to be here. Like he'll have mm -hmm. like maybe kind of a a, a cutting statement but we haven't quite gotten to the snark, and I think it's going to take somebody like, um, you know, the presence of one Dr. McCoy, yes. maybe to bring that out. Like, maybe that's kind of what he needs at this point. Yeah, definitely some sort of foil, too. Yeah, I mean, they're always snarking at each other. So, yeah, you need that, that triad there. I mean, he has it too easy. Everybody's getting along on the Enterprise right now. So it's hard to be snarky. When well, the, S Sam Kirk was uh, being a little bit messy. Uh, uh with in terms of his dishes um which uh that's the most i've ever related to spock both in uh vulcan and human form <laughs> you know he reacted to both those situations 
It's very funny. It was very funny. Yes, he just flips. <laughs> oh, emotional dysregulation. Uh, enjoyable when it's not happening to you. <laughs> yes, the line, don't test me, Kirk. I will break you, uh, is one that needs to be on t-shirts with like pictures of Sam Kirk on them. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I lost it even in the first like five minutes of the episode. Him having to go doing the what the f <laughs> and then cutting out of it. I was like losing it so hard. Just having that like imagine Spock saying what the fuck. Just so funny. There's got to be like some sort of like uh, take out there that they're keeping on some sort of blooper reel for like the Christmas party that you actually hear like Ethan Peck deliver that line in full. Yes, oh, of course. I think I actually saw a clip of him um, from Ad Astra Perispera where it was like an outtake where he's, he's talking about that other Vulcan like lawyer or advocate or whatever. And he goes, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. I'm like, yeah. Instead of like, oh, I'm sorry for my outburst there. They need to do an episode called What the Spot, I think, would be yeah. like. Yeah, I think Spock had perhaps a Trek first here in this episode. Uh, Tyler, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh -oh. But Spock had a scene where he said, I have to go to the bathroom. Is that the first time a character yes! has ever said on Star Trek, I actually have to go to the bathroom? I, I, I noticed that. I thought, I was like, is this the first time <laughs> this is, everybody is, anybody's referenced the bathroom in Star Trek? I think it might be. Well, Jake Sisko, uh, in the episode Explorers, where they built that Bajoran ship, he went looking around it, and then you see his head pop through kind of this wall, and he says to his dad, is that the bathroom? Uh, and that was the first time that uh, bathroom was ever referenced in Star Trek. Okay. okay, so this is the second time. More notably, going into there to scream into a pillow, obviously. Uh I'm sorry, but when he charges into the bathroom swinging his fists in the air, <laughs> I was laughing so hard. So, yeah, the, the writers did an amazing job with this episode, like the leveling the right bit of comedy and just like how, yeah, how, <laughs> how to portray that character, um, you know, feeling the full weight of his emotions. Now, of course, the ending, uh -huh. the ending, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I will say this, like, uh, I have not been, like, a big shipper between Chapel and Spock, but that was a very, very sensual kiss, especially, like, you could see her, like, embracing his ears. I think if you're kissing a Vulcan, one of the first things you might be interested in doing is, like, caressing a Vulcan ear. Probably. I mean, it's not, like, a Ferengi ear by any means, but, uh, you know. There's uh, no Umox uh, there's going no on. There's no Umox no, happening. No, no, no. But yes, that was that was a very passionate kiss. Like I'm not a shipper either. Like I think Tapring brings like I th I really like Tapring as a character so far. Um, you know, I, I thought actually her or her relationship with her parents was you know somewhat relatable. You know, the, having that overbearing mother. Hopefully, my mom doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and argue arguments, and, and I found her dad so so like i guess charming again just he just is so interested in the food but yeah i'm not i'm not really a shipper of either one of them however i was pretty happy seeing them finally get that kiss out but you know it's it's hard to root for them because it's like you know sort of what happens by tos right you know it's just awkward and weird she's coming on to him and he's like uh -uh. <laughs> Well, th th there's this underlying tension in that you know things don't ultimately work out with T'Pring, 
And things don't ever actually go anywhere with Chapel when it comes to Spock's romantic life. I'm I, I'm far more interested in the T'Pring and Spock relationship at this point than I am with uh, Chapel and Spock. It it just seems to have so much more depth to it, and I just love moments where you can tell T'Pring is she's got you know that Vulcan sensibility of hers. She's suppressing her emotions, but you can tell she's genuinely hurt that Spock wasn't being honest with her about what was going on, yet he informed uh, the almost the entire crew about this ruse that he was pulling. Yeah, it would be a big betrayal of trust if you couldn't trust your fiancé with such, you know, important information. I mean, after the, what they went through when they switched bodies, and <laughs> I was talking to Carmen about this episode, and you know what he's like? He said, he's like, yeah, you know, what they're, always, they're always messing with Spock, aren't they? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like he's like the guy never gets a break. Like, what is it this time? Ah, Palm far, switching bodies, you know, turn into human. What's next? He's like the uh, Chief O'Brien of uh, you know his era of Star Trek. Spring seems to have more depth in in that way, um, especially culturally. I, I I love anytime I see alien culture, like anytime they explore that and do world building. I I absolutely just eat that up. So I like having her around. You also had some, you know, speaking of alien cultures, like people, every viewer who's watching this show knows Vulcans. Like they have watched Vulcans for some of them decades upon decades of Star Trek, you know, TV. And when you have a scene like the crew teaching Spock how to be a Vulcan, it kind of is acknowledging the way that we all have this innate understanding of us, you know, fictional species. Yes. Yeah. Um, Vulcans or maybe even Klingons, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of idea of like, they they do so much, um, you know, they're so, they become so, you know, ingrained in even just in our culture, like Spaceman, oh, it's, it's Spock type situation or like, you know, um, I was reading an article today about like uh, lizard men or like having that like be a thing as well, you know, the, these sort of tropes that are ingrained into our culture when it comes to science fiction and what what they've sort of brought us. But yes, you know, we have our Vulcans, like even, you know, what are you, a Vulcan? Like, are you heartless? <laughs> like, what, what's going on over here? You know, I think I think people can just really, uh, you know, re- I think lots of people just relate to those fish out of water characters. Um, so I think, you know, having that representation um, throughout different series of that, that sort of fish out of water um, and and have it be Vulcan and have it be emotionless because I think probably at some point we've all felt a little Vulcan mm. <laughs> or maybe a little bit Klingon or maybe a little bit Ferengi, who knows? <laughs> I've never been greedy in my life, never. <laughs> I'm more of a Wadi. But uh, speaking of fish out of water, <laughs> uh, move along home, Cam. Just move along. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to know your thoughts and your honest thoughts uh, with regards to Paul Wesley playing uh, James T. Kirk. Uh, don't mind the fact that I think this is some sort of horror show in which he has failed to capture the spirit of one William Shatner in the way that I thought Chris Pine was able to do. Uh, don't mind me if you totally disagree. I'm 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 genuinely wonder what the writers are thinking or what the creators want to get out of this because he's presumably going to appear more than just this one episode that we got. But Taylor, if you are loving this Paul Wesley performance, I want you to tell me why because it's a little bit lost on me. Yeah, I'm not loving it. Um, I mean, if you removed the James T. Kirk part of the whole equation, if he was just a different guy, right? you know, 
who didn't have that backstory, who didn't have that characterization already, I think it would be, we'd all feel a little bit different because we have, you know, Spock being Spock and we have, you know, this, this idea of Captain Pike and it's really, really developed. And, you know, we didn't really fully know who Captain Pike was, but now he's come to them. We know who James T. Kirk is. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to change that or not hit that mark, you know, but at the same time, if it was just a different guy, probably not so bad, you know, yeah. uh, he, he's a charming guy. He's handsome. You know, I, I enjoyed that him uh, double fisting two hot dogs. I mean, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just not very, not that I got that, that Kirkness to him. I think that that is, is definitely missing. So I'm not, I'm inclined to agree with you. It's not, it's not, they're not getting from him what I think they want to be getting from him. So I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure where they're going with that. I, I, I just wonder if it's time to recast him uh, and cast uh, Shatner back in the role. <laughs> and like an 80-year-old Shatner. Don't comment. <laughs> don't comment on the fact that 93-year-old Shatner oh, is walking not, around. He's 93? Yeah. He's 93, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's he's sharp as a tack, though. It is, uh, like, it is amazing to see him at conventions. And, like, um, or just I, I listened to him on a podcast recently. And it's like, wow, this guy's, he's like totally with it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, um, I, I think he could totally pull off uh, the delivery of uh, Strange New Worlds version of uh, Kirk. <laughs> I mean, we got that sort of age regression, you know, CGI nowadays. So, I mean, anything. Don't, I don't want to see no. any of that. I don't want to see any of that. <laughs> Just like, regular Shatner. Yeah. Wrinkles and all. Yeah. Bring it on. Okay. It would be amazing to do some sort of alt timeline uh, episode where they had like the Paul Wesley Kirk stand next to the William Shatner Kirk, but it would be so jarring the differences between the two that I would be like, could entirely pulled out of the episode for an hour. Well, what if they had to recast the Sam Kirk character and so mm. they just put a mustache on uh, Shatner? <laughs> and <laughs> no commentary at all on, um, you know. It was... Uh, Surprising that we had to wait this long to get Sam Kirk back on the episode this, you know, this fifth episode of Strange New Worlds. Yes, yes. I did notice that. I was like, where is he still on board? Like, there has been a, you know, a personnel transfer. And then we're not seeing Pelia as much either <laughs> as maybe we, we had anticipated in this season. Well, I think for some audience members, we're seeing her as much as they like. I mean... I'm I'm interested in what Carol Kane is doing with this character, but I know uh, she's had a very polarizing effect on fandom so far. Really, I don't feel that strongly about it personally. <laughs> I think she—it's interesting to have these this like the idea of there's an alien race living alongside us that's immortal. That like that's an interesting idea to introduce. Um, but I, as for her performance or her, I, I'm not disliking it i think she's quirky um i'm interested to see what they do with it if they're going anywhere with it um i'm not i'm not feeling i don't have strong feelings about it i have more strong feelings about uh the kirk situation than sure i think palia yeah well taylor mm. it's always a joy to have you on subspace transmissions i just want to thank you so much for taking time to uh chat with us on the show today Anytime, anytime. I'm here to talk start. I just finished a rewatch of TNG Ooh. and I am on a rewatch of DS9 right now. And he just finished that episode with the come along home. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. The really, really <laughs> bad one. So oh, at least they're knocking out some bad ones really early. 
there's a coffee mug dedicated to move along home that uh, one of our friends uh, has and no longer wants so uh we'll be giving it away to another friend when we go to the star trek las vegas convention in a couple weeks although cam um now that the actors are on strike uh-huh. and part of the actor strike involves um not doing conventions and not promoting past or present work uh not doing fan expos um what what will this star trek convention be like in a few weeks cameron well, I'm not feeling great about my $500 purchase of a ticket at the moment. I'll say that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they're not allowed to promote uh, their uh, present material or their past or future. So, I mean, is it going to be Trek stars basically just like putting on small plays or variety acts for like a weekend? I don't think they're even supposed to be attending the conventions at all. That's Correct. what I heard. Yeah. That is, Correct. it's not even yeah. like don't go like and like san diego comic-con is coming up and all that stuff so yeah it's gonna be it's it's really gonna kick the the butt of these uh streaming services and these um these companies hopefully to get to the bargaining table because like i mean you can't have a strange new worlds without the writers and you can't have strange new worlds without the actors so you know it might just be eight hours of cam and i doing a panel on the main <laughs> stage in las vegas uh this year uh, for all of those thinking about going uh yet despite the fact that the actors are on strike right we just get like some what if, what if we find like some really accurate cosplayers who can assume the role <laughs> well tyler and i paid i think it's like 60 or 70 dollars canadian for uh <laughs> tickets to the tng reunion panel <laughs> Um, not feeling the greatest about that purchase also at the oh. moment. <laughs> what the Spock? Like, because this is like, they all get together for Picard season three. They're all having the opportunity to talk about that experience. But now they're all like SAG members. They're not allowed to talk about this experience. I just wonder if there's some sort of like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, otherwise, I want a refund on this. If they're just going to sit there and, and talk about what they they can't talk about previous episodes of Star Trek, they can't talk about like um, the reunion. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll talk about like memoirs that they're writing or something. Like, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel really. I, I honestly feel a little bit bad for you guys. Like you're loving it. Come on, great circum- <laughs> for a great circumstance. I, I if I shell that that much money for to go to a convention, then. Yeah, I would be disappointed. But, uh, you know, some of them have been so crazy lately. That, that, that's the thing, seeing seeing them overpacked and things like that. So maybe maybe you're, like, avoiding getting a COVID or something. Who knows? <laughs> you don't go. But uh, uh, Well, I will never forget the point. Cam and I walked into the uh, hotel last summer in Vegas. And from the airport all the way into the hotel, we were the only ones we saw wearing masks. Oh, no. And we were convinced we were going to get COVID. And I think by day two or three, Cam... You and I, we're just with, like, the rest of the hoi polloi not wearing masks anymore. And I don't think we learned the right lessons because we walked away and not one single person from our group got sick. But we did hear other reports of folks around the convention getting sick after they got home. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's always been con crud. So, you know. Yes. Um, so it's just a... It, so on that it, note... <laughs> yeah. Con crud! <laughs> don't get it! Stop breathing on people. (laughs) Wise advice. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Taylor, 
Where can people find more of you online? Um, people can find me online on the Dungeon Punks podcast. Uh, right now we're playing a RPG called Heroes. We are all playing a different sort of not adolescent, but uh, college age superheroes and what that entails going through going to a super college and uh, causing just like so much chaos on this season. So check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. So it's Dungeon Punks. And we also play uh, songs from bands that we like along with our podcast. So you can check me out there or follow me on, on any social media at tayramone69, uh, which is the fun number. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Boom. For some reason. Uh, for some reason. Uh, wonderful. Uh, Cam, where can we find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Cam B as in Vortex that is stable, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R as in regulation it's a regulation hat mom <laughs> e-p-o-r-t-o-n okay so until next time the arena is closed stop breathing on people <laughs>